Hello. Hi. It's me, Ben. Welcome back to the Eyes Up Life podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I can't believe we're here already, but this is, believe it or not, the last episode in the Eyes Up Maxis series. This is number 21. 21 out of 21. Boy, has it been fun. Thanks for being along on this ride. This is a really great episode to cap things off. We have Rebecca Rush joining the program. Eyes up if you're new. If you're new, thanks for checking us out. This is awesome. If you've been along for the ride, you can tune out the next 30 seconds while I share a little bit of background on Eyes Up. Eyes Up started as a 7,000-mile bike ride around the United States that I completed by myself to raise awareness for distracted driving. Along the way, I became very committed to the message of trying to end distracted driving and also promoting digital wellness, helping people build healthier relationships to their phones. So immediately after completing the ride back in September of last year, 2022, I set out on this road trip in partnership with Maxxis Tires to interview 21 of their athletes that they sponsor or support in some way. Rebecca Rush is one of those athletes. She is most recently in the mountain bike discipline. However, her career is incredibly impressive and it spans all endurance sports. She is an incredible person doing a lot of good for the world and has done so many, I can't even, I guess impressive is is one way to say that, but just unbelievable in some ways athletic achievements and I mentioned this at the end of last episode, but make sure you check out her career. Google Rebecca Rush. Get some background on what she's accomplished because it is truly remarkable. Anyways, I'm very excited for you to listen to this conversation, the last one in the series. By no means the end of the Eyes Up Life podcast, nor is it the end of the fight to end distracted driving. It marks the beginning of whatever comes next. We are wrapping up. We're getting close to wrapping up 2023 somehow. This year has flown by, and I've looked forward to these episodes every single two weeks, every bi-weekly iteration, and I hope you have too. It's been really fun. I'm really glad you've been here, and hopefully something that one of these athletes has said makes an impact on your habits and if you as a result change your habits in just a little way that results in a in a life being saved maybe it's your own maybe it's some stranger that you'll never meet that is fantastic and it's a huge step forward in this mission so without further ado here's my conversation with rebecca rush we'll talk to you at the end thanks so much enjoy I'm Rebecca Rush. I live in Idaho and currently living in Smiley Creek, Idaho. And I've been here about 20 something years and been an athlete my whole life in a lot of different sports, most recently cycling and expedition riding, but also multi-time world champion in some other sports. Uh, done adventure racing, skiing, running, paddling. Uh, yeah, but the bike now is kind of my tool for exploring. Two-time Hall of Famer, 
gravel and mountain bike hall of fame and uh, let's see I run a nonprofit, the Be Good Foundation and also a gravel cycling event called Rebecca's Private Idaho so multifaceted I do some film some riding and but mostly love to ride my bike long distances so there's a lot there I mean you've had an amazing <laughs> career um, I want I would love to talk about every single piece of it I don't think there's gonna be enough time so Joe, let's start with how, do, how did you end up in Idaho I came to well I was living out of my truck for a number of years before it was cool to live out of a truck and it wasn't a fancy expensive van or anything um, but really I, I left my job uh, I had a dream job and you know doing marketing and, and running rock climbing gyms which was pretty cool in California um, but I decided I, I just needed I needed to travel and I got some invitations to go do some races and exploring and the only way I could afford to do that was by living out of my car and going rock climbing and so uh, I ended up here in Idaho because one of my teammates was born and raised here and just came to train one summer and really fell in love with the place with the people in the place really the the open terrain here and the vast amount of open space and public land but also the people are super warm and welcoming so I came here 22 years ago I think and never left and, and made it my home. So walk me through sort of like the evolution of your career <laughs> and how the different sports have kind of found their way into into your life. Yeah started with running uh, cross-country running in high school and college um, then found rock climbing and really went pretty deep into that, became a climbing guide, opened a bunch of climbing gyms, and then found adventure racing, which if anyone remembers Eco Challenge or any of those TV shows, it was multi-sport, multi-day, where you're navigating, traveling in teams of four, and you do all the sports. And cycling, which was my worst one, was included in that. But adventure racing was really, I did that for 10 years and was a really cool way to travel and see the world and explore and really hone my kind of outdoor expedition skills. Sprinkled in there was um, a bunch of whitewater rafting, um, outrigger canoeing, some paddling, trail running, stuff like that. And really that morphed then into, into cycling mostly full time, um, which it was my worst sport and then became, became kind of the tool that, that I use now to explore mostly. And how did that transition come about? from running to cycling? All that came about, the adventure racing, I was doing that, managing a team, um, team captain, getting sponsorship, like really learning and honing that whole thing of kind of being an athlete entrepreneur. And in the middle of that, um, I had a teammate or friend killed in front of us with Rockfall during a race. So it sort of started this spiral of me questioning, why am I doing this sport? At the same time, we lost some of our sponsorships and the, that sport ended up not being on TV anymore and so it just kind of was a transitionary period and I was in a pretty dark hole and, and went to go do a 24-hour race. I'd never done a 24-hour mountain bike race. I'd never done a mountain bike race, but a bunch of friends of mine here from Idaho were like, let's just go to the desert and let's just like ride bikes. There's this race called 24 Hours of Moab. Let's just go do it as a women's team. And I didn't ride bikes, it was terrible. I had to run all the technical sections, um, but we ended up we ended up winning the women's you know expert field, and I ended up having the fastest women's laps of the race, even including the pros. 
And that's given that I was running my bike down all the technical stuff because I couldn't ride. But what I could do, I had endurance. I had a lot of endurance. So a 24-hour race wasn't a big deal to me because I was used to seven-day races. And so I had the endurance and the experience and the mindset for it. I just didn't know how to ride a bike. So I was like, well, the guy who, who kind of crewed for us um, was a friend of mine here. He's now my husband. He had done 24-hour solo racing. And he's like, I think you should do this. I can't ride I stink you know and but after that race I signed up for a solo event again running all the technical sections but I won the race overall beat all the guys and that kind of launched launched my cycling career sort of unknown I'm like okay so learned how to ride a bike a little better really got into the endurance stuff and that was I don't know 15 years ago so where I thought my athletic career was ending was really kind of a phoenix rising from the ashes moment of like taking a really down time and just going out to the desert and riding bikes with friends and that launched really the, the more successful part of my career in a whole new whole new second half. So would you say that the <laughs> the I mean you're really strong as a runner was all of that fitness and endurance did it translate pretty it sounds like it translated pretty well to mountain biking or is there a mental component that you have that's that kind of put you above? It's a good question. I think it's both um, being an, a lifelong athlete since high school, um, but also having the endurance mindset of just knowing I could go long and, you know, knowing that, you know, the brain will give up before the body does. And so I took that into, into mountain bike, endurance mountain bike racing, even though I didn't have the skill yet. Um, I had some of the stuff that's harder to learn, like mindset and just being a lifelong athlete. Wow. So talk to me about like, so you were amazing without even really being good at mountain biking. Yeah, so. I was terrible at mountain biking. The first article that was written about me, the first, I, the first big race I went to, like I said, I, I, I beat everyone. The second race I did was national championships and I won that. And my third 24 hour race was world championships and I got second. And the article that was written, the first article that was ever written about me as a cyclist was called Winning Ugly. And the, the author was just like, man, this girl is terrible on a bike. She can't ride. She looks terrible. But she's winning races. So, so yeah, I mean, you hit on something that that sport, especially endurance sport, there's a lot more to it than the sheer technical skill that somebody has. And then so you just kind of took off from there, I imagine. Yeah, that just kind of kept elevating and, and it did 24-hour solo races for a while. That morphed into some mountain bike stage racing, Leadville 100, some shorter stuff. Um, and now really, really doing bike packing and bike expeditions. So it's kind of like my adventure racing and my cycling are, are coming together. And I'm doing a lot of things like... Um, you know, just big rides where I'm navigating, carrying all my stuff with me. I did ride Alaska. This is one of the trails I've done recently in winter, self-supported. So kind of morphing to another phase of cycling here. What, <laughs> what, what keeps you going and excited to do? I mean, these are not easy by any measure. Um, and yeah, what's the draw for you? The draw has always been curiosity of like, I want to see what's over that next hill or what's it like over there or could I do it so even since I was a little kid the draw has been curiosity and that's a pretty big motivator and I've had a lot of shifts in my career and people are like well how do you know when you're done doing lead bowl and 100 mile races and you move to the next thing and it's more like when I start to think about like I wonder you know and I think it's something that we have as kids 
and maybe we grow out of as adults when we get like regular jobs and things we stop sort of trying new things and being curious so a lot of that driver and especially with the bike is I want to go places and I want to see things and the bike is a super good tool for that and you know every sort of period was like you know when I was racing Leadville 100 miles is short for me you know and I was like could I really train up and get the fitness and the skill to be super competitive there and so that was a cool challenge and I think is the key for a lot of us is evolving and what motivated you at 25 maybe doesn't motivate you at 50 you've got the skills that you brought from 25 to do something else and I think that's what drives me is 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 still that curiosity to go places and see things internally and externally you've done a lot of giving back to various communities that you've been a part of so talk to me about what what all keeps you or has been fulfilling for you through that and um, I also wanted to just this is kind of a separate question but hear how how you're inspiring younger people to because I feel like it's easy to fall off the the ultra fitness wagon when you're you know <laughs> in your early 30s or something so how do you how do you inspire people to keep pushing because you're I mean competing at a, a really high level still thanks um, I think it's that variety you know is I ski in the winter and I bike ride and I do a lot of things and if I'll go back to the same thing I mean what I tell people is like if you're bored with something then that's a message that you're telling yourself so what's something different you can try or get involved in a different way I mean I've always I've always wanted to bring other people along with me I launched a bunch of women's and girls programs years ago I have a foundation now and honestly it's at 2015, I did the most important ride of my life, which ended up being the film Blood Road, and that was to riding down the Ho Chi Minh Trail a thousand miles to find the place where my dad was shot down in the Vietnam War. And I put together this expedition, and it was a personal journey, but it was also a big awareness that telling stories and using my podiums and all those things, that they're really a springboard for more, which is to share. and and help other people so there's a big aspect to me wanting to help inspire others because being outside and moving outside has been it's basically those are the two things that make me happy and healthy and I've been lucky enough to build a career out of it but you see that people are happy when they move and people are happy when they're outside it's you know proven by neuroscience that 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 makes people happy. So those two things are really areas I feel inspired that anyone at any level can go outside and move and, and feel better and get more confidence and, and learn. And it's sort of a concept, I call it dirt dharma, but it's like, I feel like I get my best education out on the trail. And like, I understand what I'm supposed to be doing. I solve my problems out there. Um, I get my vision for the next thing out there. You mentioned sharing and how that's become a really important part mm -hmm. of your work and just yeah. personal life. So I want to kind of hear from you what, I mean, you may, you shared with millions of people through that documentary, which I'm excited to watch. <laughs> <laughs> that, so film is one form, but then there's, there's social media is a, is a big piece too. So I want to hear about how all the various forms of sharing besides word of mouth have uh, been part of your 
your career? Yeah, and it, I mean, in like so many decades as an athlete, it's really changed the ability to actually communicate with each other on a broader level. I mean, initially, and it's still really powerful in person and being with people and riding with people is super powerful. Um, and that happens through Rebecca's Private Idaho, the growl event that I put on, you know, just riding with people and, and hanging out here in Idaho and, and seeing them push themselves to ride 100 miles. So there's there's in-person way to contact and touch people, which is really awesome, but it's limited. So um, so yeah, with social media growth, I, launched, I just launched a digital platform called Rush Academy where I've got some educational classes on there, some that are free, some that you know you pay for, but all with the desire of taking all my expedition and bike experience and sort of condensing it down for somebody who's inspired and wants to go exploring. So, so there's some online platforms. Of course, social media is, is a way to talk to people. And, you know, I've, I've always just tried to treat all of those platforms, whether it's digital um, or whatever they are, or film, I've always tried to treat them all the same as if we were sitting here talking one-on-one -on -one in the room. And so I try to, my communication is authentic and it's what I would say to anyone. It's not filtered, it's not, you know, this is me. And I think that that's important in our digital communication. And I've been open about, you know, with my book, letting people know my fears and struggles and, you know, struggled with, you know, eating disorders or not being confident or, you know, so I feel like being vulnerable and open is actually a pretty powerful tool and that's resonated with other people who are like, oh, okay, you're not a superhero, you're human and they can see themselves in you and, and that is inspiring and it's not to air my dirty laundry or to be like oversharing but I think being vulnerable and honest is is super important so all those learning platforms all those sharing platforms are just me you know sharing what I know and I learn in hopes that somebody else will go be inspired to do some rad exploration of their own talk to me about your relationship with social media outside of creating content and yeah. inspiring people yeah it's I mean it's a double-edged sword. I've learned a lot through social media of like, you know, now athletes have to be videographers and filmmakers. And I learned a lot doing the film Blood Road. And that was really inspiring for me. Um, just watching the film crew and seeing, you know, we were a month on the trail and seeing what came out of that and how it was edited. Like that was really cool. And I was kind of drawn to it. And for a short time, I'm like, maybe I'll be a filmmaker. Um, and there's part of that that still really excites me. But there's also an aspect of social media that takes over people's lives. And there's, there are many times where, you know, it's like, oh, do I have to document every single ride I do? And what I love about Idaho is, is there's no cell phone coverage around here. So most of the time when I'm out riding, I, I don't have my phone dinging at me. And I think it's an important, it's an important uh, barrier that I put up of, one, to enjoy my own time by myself or with whoever I'm riding with, and then come back and share it later. So I try to set some guardrails for myself. Um, I don't share everything, but it is part of the business model at this point, so. Yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on young people in particular and the amount of time that, <sighs> yeah. that we're spending on, on the various things related to our phone you know it's a big part of my message is for people to go outside you know digital free um, and go do long, something long in in the wilderness um, whether it's a dog walk or 
or a, you know riding the Iditarod Trail. There's there's so much power in being alone with your mind, without a podcast, without any noise, without anything digital. And so it's a big part of my message is just go exploring and turn things off, um, because I I do agree that I wouldn't want to be a young person today growing up in. I mean, technology is amazing, but what it's actually taken away. It's given, but then it's taken away um, from the attention span of people to hear their own breath when they're on their bike, to look around at the mountains instead of like, oh, I'm in a beautiful setting. I better take a picture of myself. So yeah, I mean, I use it for business purposes, um, I, you know, but I'm not all over it every day. I can't be because actually I notice in my own mindset, if I spend too much time on my phone or looking at social media, actually start to feel bad about myself and I start to feel like I should be doing more I should be doing this and I think that that's really common and so I journal a lot I try to write hand handwritten letters to people Um, I really try to and and I go out on my bike you know out of cell phone range a lot or if I'm in range I, I, I have it for my camera but I turn it off you know it's not binging it's not making noise I put it on airplane mode right so you can really enjoy what you're doing yeah, I mean, what, is the memory the moment that you're in, or is the memory like, is the is the good part you know spending time in the moment, or is the good part going home and telling your friends you had such a good time, but were you really there, were you really noticing the birds and you know the wildlife and the trees? You can't be if you're got a bunch of digital devices going. Right, and if you're just if your mental focus is on what you're doing and how it applies to stories later on or sharing it with people yeah it kind of changes your lens it it does change the lens i remember in when i was 24-hour racing a bunch 24-hour solo mountain bike racing they implemented a rule at nationals and worlds um that you couldn't use headphones and i was stoked because i typically don't ride without music or podcast but many of the other athletes were really traumatized by it and thought well i'm i don't know if i can mentally stay in the game for 24 hours if I don't have a distraction and I was just like wow you know and that was years ago it was a decade ago and even then people were using you know digital devices as a crutch but you know what if you just went out and were in your own brain for 24 hours and I find what I mean it's blood flow equals brain flow when I'm out moving I get so many thoughts and ideas and creativity starts coming and so I actually like allowing that space because I feel like that's where I get my best ideas for writing or, or other things when when I, I don't have anything in my ears. Right, yeah, and listening to <laughs> any sort of any sort of input just kind of it puts a wall between you yeah. and your thoughts. Yeah, exactly. Which I guess is helpful for a lot of people but it it does remove the sort of meditative elements. Of yeah, it is meditative, absolutely. So, so what's some advice you would offer to, to young people? I mean, it sounds like just getting outside is an important step, but how do we shift the focus from doing things for our social media presence to doing things really for ourselves? Oh, that's such a good question. You know, I find, you know, spending time with another person in the outdoors is a really healthy way to have the conversation, have, like, feel like you're connecting 
but you're connecting with the human that's right there. And so, you know, getting a group of friends together to go on a hike or um, and maybe making a pact that like, let's just go on a hike and let's leave everything behind. And a lot of young people maybe have never experienced going outside without their phone. So it could be a good challenge and see what happens. See what sort of ideas and creativity come or what conversation you have with your friends. It's, it's sort of like, you know, I know a lot of parents at the dinner table, you know, they leave the phone down so that you can have conversation. And I would challenge people to do that moving in the outdoors as well to just see what conversation happens when there isn't the distraction of a digital device. Well, so the average American gets their first cell phone at seven or eight now. That's the, the average. What, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? And like, it, I mean, that's a huge shift from even you know, five, 10 years ago. Yeah, I think there's a big danger of um, the way a brain is developed, a young person's brain is developed. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but we all know that it's, you know, up until 15, 20, like it's a really impressionable brain development time um, and also habit development of if you're habitually learning to grab for a phone or digital device, how, how do you break that when it starts that early? And so, oh, I mean, <laughs> The tools are there. Look, the tools are there. We're not going to take them away. So it's actually up to us as humans to learn to put up guardrails. And maybe it's old school and I just keep saying it, but like my dogs, like going on a walk with my dog is some of the, the like best mental health thing I do for myself every day is we go outside and we walk and it's 15 minutes, half hour, whatever. And I do fear that you know, whether you have a dog or not, that young people are, are, or all people are losing touch with nature and being outside. And I do feel it's contributing to the mental health crisis that's happening in the world right now at, at every age, at every level. So for people who are getting the phone at seven, 10, it's, it's an uphill battle then for educators and parents and all of us to make sure we don't lose what it is to be human. And what it is to be human is to connect with people, other humans, and to connect with nature and the place we live. It's, it's that simple. Yeah, and I feel like one of the most elemental human connections is the parent to child mm -hmm. connection. And it's so easy now to just give a small child an iPad or something for hours at a time instead of yeah. spending quality time with them, you know, playing with them, you know, but it's, I don't know, we're, there's so many family situations where it's, it's hard to act, like, both parents are working, or, yeah. you know, there's just not enough time to really yeah. do that without the aid of technology or something cheaper than, like, a full-time nanny or something. Well, and, and young people learn from us, you know, they learn, so if we can't put those restrictions on ourselves of putting digital devices down, then how could you teach, you know? the next generation coming up. So so it does start actually with the adults first who have the clarity, they understand what's happening mentally um, when we're on our digital devices. We all know, you know, you wake up the phone and look at the phone first thing in the morning. And so this is nothing new, but it's like, yeah, setting timelines and putting it down. Um, just as we would set work hours and you go home at five, 
Um, we don't really do that as a culture anymore. It used to be that when five o'clock came, work was done. My grandpa came home from work and then he spent time with the family. So if we can't put some of those guardrails on ourselves, then how can we expect others to follow? And it's part of the reason why I go on these really long rides is to, to get away and do escape and to return to what feels natural, human interaction um, outside and living and breathing outside. And that is those, whether it's a long ride or short ride, those are definitely resets for me of like, when I'm getting too much into work and too much into digital stuff, I'm like, I need to plan an adventure and kind of get a reset and get back to it. Because you're right, it's hard in your daily life. It's part of our tool of working and communicating and it's not going anywhere. So I think we all need to take vacations pretty regularly, daily, you know, mini vacations and, and then on a pretty regular base, basis, digital free vacations. Yeah, yeah, that's, you said it. <laughs> um, talk to me about phones in the car and distractions and where you are at with that, any personal experience you've had with distracted drivers or your own relationship to distractions in the car. Yeah, I mean, as a cyclist, of course, I know friends who've been hit by motorists and hard to know if they were distracted drivers or not, but um, yeah, a very good friend of mine died right on Main Street here um, in Ketchum you know, just riding her townie, and you have to wonder it, you know, when the speed limit's 25 miles an hour, and she's on the side of the road just riding, what happened there? And so, yeah, I have way too many friends I know, um, instances I know as a cyclist um, of distracted drivers hitting and killing them, and it, it doesn't need to happen. It's super traumatic, and as, as bike transportation grows, which is great with e-bikes and, and other things, and more people find cycling, it's sort of an interaction that yeah needs to be addressed and I, a lot of new cars have things like you know they'll you know basically put your phone on driving mode and and that helps but you can always override those things and it's become really apparent to me that you know look we all done it we've all text and drive or looked at our phone or tried to change the radio or whatever we've all done it it's become really apparent to me um, I just moved north of town about 45 minutes and about five minutes outside of town you lose cell, cell coverage and so I do that drive and um, I've really noticed in my own attention that I mean I really don't text and drive but even in town I notice I can look down at my phone I can it's still there calling to me like um, and it's still there making noise whereas as soon as I head out of range I notice a difference in my behavior in that I'm looking at the mountains I'm you know appreciating the drive it's actually a really beautiful drive and and yeah I'm not distracted and so my own personal experience has been wow I didn't think I was a distracted driver but just the fact that that device is there um, it's making noise and doing things and our brains are responding with neurochemicals and so yeah I've started to put it in my bag put it in my purse put it away and luckily a lot of my driving is outside of cell phone coverage but it's so if you don't put the guardrails up like I don't I don't trust myself not to look or there's a call and and I want to take it so you know, there's a lot of cool things in new cars where you can be you can be hands-free, but um, your brain is still 
your brain is still not paying attention to to what you're doing so yeah it's a big issue i'm glad you're doing this i'm glad you're doing this tour and raising awareness oh thank you yeah <laughs> yeah and well the interesting thing and that several people have brought up is that and I kind of was aware of this, but distractions in the car, are so there's so many in addition to just your phone. Right. Um, the most interesting one for me was like teenagers who are driving other teenagers in the car and how much distraction just them, you know, they're on their phones talking. Yet, yeah, like they're, you know, there's like no regard for the driver, yeah. um, which is kind of an interesting one. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, but I, yeah, when you know that there's no, when you know that you're out of service and there's, no way you could even connect to the internet. It's like a huge shift in your brain. Yeah, it's and a mental shift. So can we create that when you are in cell phone range? I don't know. The yeah. best thing I, that I know of is the driving focus on your phone. Do you use that or you're, it sounds like you're aware of it? Yeah, I have that. That's an automatic thing on my phone that just like, as soon as my car turns on, my phone goes to you know driving mode. And unless I pick it up and override it and it says, are you, are you driving and like have to like really there's another step to be like no no I'm and so that alone makes me think like oh I really shouldn't be doing this you know so that works pretty well um, definitely yeah I, I wish I, I'm I really appreciate that you use it and are aware of it I think a lot of people don't uh, in fact most of the people that I've interviewed didn't know it existed um, so it's it's something that I think phone companies could do a better job mm -hmm. of making known to to drivers well and not just drivers I mean everyone should know that focus button on their phone is you can turn off the notifications and things and we we're already talking about it like what a great way to be like from 8 to 10 I'm gonna put my phone on do not disturb like you can do it pretty easily with the slide of the button and same as in your car even if even if your car is not automatically doing it um, learn where that do not disturb and focus button is on your phone because even when I'm writing or I'm trying to do work that I really want to be mentally focused on I, I turn that I turn my phone off and put it on do not disturb what are you most proud of in your life wow, that's a good question um, I'm most proud of I think longevity in and like carving a career and being an entrepreneur in a space that has been pretty challenging so choosing the hard road really um, and it's paying off now in amazing ways by being able to give back through the foundation and rides I do and, and other stuff and so I'm, I'm proud that like I've had the endurance to figure it out and stay in it and, and create this kind of lifestyle that's been impactful for me but impactful for other people. When you're doing all of these incredibly challenging things, riding a bike for 24 hours, anything in that, in that world, I, at least in the beginning of your career, I got to believe there was a point that you had reached where you wanted to stop mm -hmm. at least once. Multiple <laughs> and, times, <laughs> yeah. If, yeah, uh, so what, what, what put, where, where most people would quit or stop, yeah. what kept you going? super stubborn um, I didn't have a backup plan um, I still believed that I could do it so even I mean think about like the hardest thing you've done something that was just like super gnarly on the end of it who you are is different and the stories you tell you don't tell the story about that easy thing that you did and that super fun you know fun bike ride but super easy 
Um, you tell the story of that gnarly one where you had a flat and you're, 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 you got lost and you figured it out. And who you are on the other side of that is, is an evolved version of yourself. And so when people always ask, why do you do these hard things? Did you want to quit? Like, of course. But I also know from sort of repetitively teaching myself this that I grow um, from doing hard things. And I've just kind of always had that mentality that I don't mind hard work. And on the other side of it, there's always a gift, a reward, an evolution that happens. But yeah, when you're in the middle of it and you're freezing in Alaska and you're wondering, you know, how do we get out of this? And any career for anyone is going to have super roller coaster ride I've wanted to quit a lot of times and so that's when you ask what I'm most proud of is that that I didn't quit and I kept figuring it out and finding another way around and here we are and now yeah now it allows you to <laughs> help so many other people do the same thing I hope so yeah what's what's some advice you would offer to a young person hoping to pursue maybe a sport but it could be any sort of career that's opposite of where pressures from family, friends, school are pushing them? Yeah, I mean, my mom was, was pretty cool when I'm like, I'm going to quit my job and go live in my car. You know, I have a business marketing degree, and, and she, didn't, she didn't question that. And the reason she didn't or pressure me is because I had a backup plan. I, you know, I owned the car. I bought the car. Like, I, I could always go back to work. Um, so I think when you're taking a risky route or a route that's maybe a little less traditional, um, cover your bases, you know, make sure you can figure out, you know, where's your mail going to go? Are you going to get health insurance? What if I always do what ifs? And I, I, you know, I use the trail as an example. What if the trail that you started on is closed and there's a tree down? What are you going to do? You know, you're going to navigate around or you're going to bushwhack for a while. And so there's never going to be a super clear navigational path. Even if you choose a traditional career, you're going to get fired or something's going to happen or maybe it wasn't what you thought. So I think the most successful people are good at navigating and, and navigating maybe not the obvious, like getting out of machete and whacking through the jungle if it's not an obvious path. And so that's the main advice is that you're never totally going to know where you're going. You know, you maybe have a compass bearing, you know, a general idea, but you're never going to know exactly where the trail's leading, and that's okay. It's okay to be flexible and figure it out and have your backup plans, think about what if, um, and then just a lot of times you have to just keep pushing through the jungle, like right. I said. And trust yourself that it's going to work. Yeah. It's going to work out somehow. <laughs> You've chosen based on passion, and that's what I consider like your compass bearing, you know. Um, my passion's always been exploration. You know, if, if your compass bearing's pretty good, then trust that and, and keep going and just find the trail. Um, what's, what are you looking forward to? What's like the next, next adventure that um, is keeping you fired up? Oh, well, I, I have the opportunity to maybe go to Ellesmere Island, um, way up in the Arctic. This, March and it's not a bike trip um, it's actually to go with some photographers to photograph um, polar bears with Inuit guides and my hope is to help do some storytelling there and talk about the indigenous culture um, the sort of plight of the polar bears um, 
global warming. And so it's, it's a really gnarly expedition that will be living out on the sea ice for 10 days and uh, minus 40 degree temperatures. And so while it's not an expedition bike ride, um, all of my experience sort of survival skills and things will be come into play with the hopes of, of helping tell the story and show that place and, and survive as well. So wow. I have the opportunity to, to hopefully do that in March, which seems like a departure from, from what I'm doing, but actually I feel like it's it's right up there, even though I'll be on a snow machine and walking and not on a bike, um, definitely survival skills and, and then hopefully telling the story and bringing that back to people. Do you know what, what medium it will be shared? On. Well, the photographers, you know, I'm going with Steve Cannon. He's a he's a um, winter bike expedition friend of mine. That's how I kind of got connected. And he's also a nature photographer. So he's going to be doing still photographs and for sure doing that. I'm hoping to write and bring a filmer and do some GoPro stuff myself. But I'm going to kind of figure it out. Like I said, the path isn't really clear, but I feel really strongly that it's a story that should be documented and that I have the skill to be able to be there and, and try to be part of that team. Wow, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool opportunity. It will stay warm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm already looking at expedition clothing and stuff like that. Oh yeah. man. Um, any closing thoughts or anything before we wrap up here, Rebecca? Um, well, thanks for sharing your story and I feel like we need to go on a bike ride somewhere. Oh my gosh, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and. Yeah, I just invite people to, to join me in any way that they can and uh, go exploring. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. That was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, that is a wrap for the Eyes Up Maxis series. Thanks so much for being here on this journey and for listening. If you haven't seen the video with Rebecca Rush from two days ago check it out on eyes up ride on instagram and maxis tires on youtube whichever way is more convenient for you we're gonna have more eyes up life coming your way in one shape or form or another so stay tuned and subscribe to the eyes up life podcast check out the other videos and podcast episodes if you haven't already listened to or watched them and again, thank you for being along on this journey. If you haven't already done so, please make sure you turn on driving focus on your phone. If you don't know how, head to eyesupride.com resources to learn how or reach out to me directly if you're having some trouble. Reducing distractions in the car is going to take us all a giant step forward in ending distracted driving and it's a no-brainer step in the right direction. Simply silencing and turning off notifications will prevent temptation for you to reach to your phone when you see your phone light up and wonder, what the heck is that? What's that notification? No more with Driving Focus. Check it out, eyesupride.com resources. Thank you again. We will talk to you next time, whenever that is. And I hope you have a great, safe rest of the year and rest of your life. But we'll talk before then. And if you haven't done so, one more thing, one more little piece of homework, subscribe to Max's Tires on YouTube, follow Eyes Up Ride on Instagram, check out Max's Tires. If you have a bike, if you have a car, you're looking to get new tires, why not make them Max's Tires? They're the best in the world. And any of these people that I've interviewed would tell you just the same. Thanks so much. Take care. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.